Amen. You may be seated. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight. We just ask that your spirit comes on us now. Allow us to be open to journey with you over this 40 days. Allow us to truly be your disciples, be your children. We pray that you just allow us to hear in a new way your story, to walk with you in new ways as we journey with you in your ministry. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, welcome again to New Life and uh, welcome to the season of Lent. We'll talk about it in a little bit more detail. Tonight we are going to uh, read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. And it will be on the screen uh, or you can follow along in your Bible. Bible apps we read from the Common English Bible. Um, Generally, not because that's the best, but just because that's uh, fairly accessible for a lot of different types of people. So, About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit like a dove coming down on him. There was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love. And you might find happiness. At once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. God bless the reading of the word today. So we are officially in Lent. It began on Ash Wednesday, which was Wednesday, in case you missed it. And it lasts for 40 days, all the way until Easter Sunday. Now, some of you may be going, uh, the math doesn't add up, and it doesn't. Because there's actually 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. You see, we don't count Sundays, because Sundays are the Lord's Day. So there are six Sundays in the season of Lent. They are not counted in those 40 days, because on Sunday, you are not too fast. Fast? What is that? Well, let's talk about fasting for just a second before we get into this. Traditionally, the season of Lent has been a time of preparing individuals for baptism by teaching them Christian doctrine. It's a season of preparation. Uh, It's also a season to reflect on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, fasting is one of many ways to do that. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. And so during Lent, we remember those 40 days. And so we can fast, either give up something or uh, deny ourselves something. Um, And this year we have a Daniel plan group, although it's not just about food, it's about kind of holistic um, mind, body, spirit, uh, wellness. Um, because I believe that although fasting is really good, I think we, Jesus commanded us to fast. I think we should fast from time to time. I think, you know, getting into the habit of fasting even once a week or once a month or restricting yourself, if you can, from food is good or fasting from other things. Uh, take a fast from Facebook or take a fast for other things that consume your time. And remember, traditionally, it took a long time to prepare food, Right. And so you would spend the time you would take to prepare a meal and you'd use that to pray 
to study Scripture, to commune with God however you found fit. So take those things that eat that time up. TV, sports, Facebook, Star Wars. That's not fair. I don't think Star Wars takes up any time. Practically, you know, blessed time. I think God is there, right? Anyway, so take those things that take up that time, that time that's preventing you from growing and use that to grow. And so uh, uh, Tuesday morning, 9.30 at the Sherland Church, we are going to be doing that Daniel plan if you're interested. But our sermon series this Lenten season is The Way. And it's based on a book, this book, by Adam Hamilton, Pastor Adam Hamilton, Church of the Resurrection, our largest United Methodist Church in the nation. And it is about following Jesus as he walks and he ministers publicly on earth. So this Lent, we are going to be walking with Jesus. We are going to retrace his footsteps. I I never said why we don't fast on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. So, you know, if you give up chocolate for Lent or something like that, um, I didn't mean to put down somebody who just did that. Um, But, you know, if, if you know, you can eat chocolate on Sunday is what I'm saying, if you didn't know that. So whatever it is, you know, you don't have to. But, you know, you're not supposed to fast on the Lord's Day because it's a day of celebration. The Lord's Day Sunday is the day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. So it's always a jubilant day. It's not a day to deny yourself. It's a day to celebrate, right? Okay, that goes back hundreds of years. <clears throat> anyway, so we are going to be walking with Jesus as he ministers in his life. Wednesday night, we're going to be uh, spending some time during form at 6 p.m., Uh, every Wednesday, and and you're going to see some of these places, although I'm going to show them uh, here a little bit uh, briefly, but you're going to see some of these places where Jesus actually walked in great length, and Pastor Adam takes you there, uh, and so we'll do that. But I'm hoping that if we walk a few miles in Jesus's sandals, that maybe something in us will change, and maybe that we will be able to be better disciples better followers, better Christians. Because uh, although I think fasting is good, although I think giving up things from time to time is really good, I think this is a wonderful time of the year, this Lenten season, to start something new, to develop a new habit, to develop a new prayer practice, to develop a new understanding and appreciation. That's what this season was intended to do, to prepare you for the death, the resurrection, to prepare you for life in the church, to prepare you to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River and his temptations and 40 days in the Judean wilderness. Now, a few weeks ago, we already talked about Jesus' baptism. We talked about the impact that that had. We talked about the fact that, yes, he was sinless. He didn't need to be baptized to be uh, purified of sin. He did that for us. He did that as a sign for us. He did that uh, as something very important for us. He also did that as a way to have this affirmation from God. And we talked about this this kind of hidden uh, language uh, that, that when God speaks, God the Father speaks, that it is affirming his Christship, that he is the Messiah. But it's also kind of telling Jesus that he is headed to the cross. So his ministries began, but he is headed towards the cross. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. I thought as we are following Jesus' footsteps this year, this would be a good time 
to actually talk about why baptism is so important. And also because I've been, been reading a lot of um, uh, ordinan people who are becoming ordained uh, elders and deacons in the United Methodist Church, I've been reading a lot of their theological papers. Uh, and so I want to make sure that you know what they should know if they don't know it. And if they don't know it, they're going to hear about it here in a couple of weeks when they sit down with me to talk about it. So this is important stuff, but this is why baptism is so important. And then we'll talk about the temptation a little bit more in detail. So baptism is a sacrament. Talk about sacraments. We have two in the Protestant church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. A sacrament is something special. It is something holy. We believe that when we are present in the sacrament, God is also present. We believe that sacraments are particularly important because Jesus did them and commanded us to continue doing them. Jesus shared the Lord's Supper with his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus baptized. He got baptized, but he also baptized. There's records of Jesus baptizing. And he said, go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So these are things that Jesus has commanded us to do. They are things that we know that when we are part of them, God will be present in them. Baptism is also a means of grace, and we talk a lot about means of grace. There's hundreds of means of grace. They are ways that we experience God's loving action in our lives. That's what grace is. Grace is God's loving action in our lives. It's a way we experience God. You know, somebody may ask, how do you know God is real? Well, grace is one way we know God is real. It is the experience of the relationship that we have with God. So it is a means of grace. We experience God's love through this act of baptism by grace we are saved and baptism is a reminder of that saving act in jesus christ now there's a couple other theological things that we need to know when it comes to baptism first it is a sign of the covenants god has always been in the covenant business there's been a lot of covenants over the course of human history god has been constantly trying to make covenants or special relationships with humanity, and humanity keeps messing them up. From the time of the Garden of Eden, hey, I'll be your God, and you can have all of this stuff. Just don't eat the, this stuff, right? Just don't eat this one tree. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, and, and we messed that up. And then, and then God said, right, I'll be your people, and I'll be your God. You can be my people with Abraham. And circumcision was a sign of that covenant for the jewish people and it still is today jesus came and brought us a new covenant we talk about a new covenant every time we gather at the lord's table every week we say this is my blood poured out for you it is a sign of the new covenant the sign of the new covenant so by his life death and resurrection jesus created a new covenant between god and humanity and baptism is a sign of that covenant we know we are included in that covenant and baptism is a sign of that covenant not just between god and individuals but between god the individual and the community of faith it is a triune three way relationship just like god father son and holy spirit is triune so too is our relationship triune god me the body of faith, the church, all right? That's how our 
trying relationships work. I know this is a lot of theology. It's okay, though. It's good for you. And baptism is also by water and the Spirit. Okay, we are baptized by water. Water is so important, isn't it? We are nurtured in the water of our mother's womb. We are mostly water. We need lots of water to exist. Our world needs water, and we pollute it and screw it up, but we are desperate for water. Our plants need it. Our animals need it. We need it. Water is super important. And throughout human history, water has played a pivotal factor. Look at the Bible. A lot of the stories of the Bible include water, including Jesus's stories. And so we see that by water, we are baptized. Water is a powerful symbol and a powerful reminder of Jesus's salvation. But we are also baptized by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, we are showing a sign that we have received the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't always, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we believe that baptism is a coming of the Spirit, just like the Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove in bodily form on his baptism. We believe that baptism is a sign that the Spirit dwells within us. Now, I'm not saying that it always happens in that moment of baptism, but we believe that it is a sign, a symbol of the Spirit's dwelling within those followers of Jesus Christ and even those uh, who who have just the prevenient grace of God in their life. So we are baptized by water and the Spirit. Baptism also marks our incorporation into the body of Christ. This is the, you know, the the handshake, the, the key swap. You know, it is the signing right? Signing the contract. Baptism is what says, yes, I am part of the body of Christ, also known as church. The church. Capital C church, not just little C church. Because it's not just belonging to a particular denomination, a particular church. It is belonging to the Catholic or universal, all, all of us. Big capital C body of Christ. Catholic, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm talking about big C Catholic Church, all the Christians, right? We believe in the Catholic Church. That's not the, we believe in the Roman Catholic Church that you can go down the street. There's one, right? You can see it. But Catholic means universal. That is all Christians. Don't let the Roman Church take that from us. We are United Methodist Catholics, okay? The Lutherans are, you know, ELCA Catholic Lutherans or Missouri Synod Catholic Lutherans or you know, Baptist Catholics or, wh- or whatever. We're all part of Christ's universal or Catholic, same, same meaning, church. That's why baptism is a public rite, although sometimes we do it privately, although we encourage people to do it publicly because it is incorporation to the body, not just to individuals. It's not a, a mark of individual salvation. It's a mark of corporate inclusion in Christ's body, the church. Now, baptism also is a mark or or a reminder or a symbol of our sin and our repentance of that sin. Now, our human condition is sin. We've talked about that a lot. Constantly moving away from God, but God's goodness calls us back. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ came to create this covenant, and we can turn back towards God. Christ gives us the power to turn back. And so, Baptism is a sign of our repentance or turning around to God and God's ultimate forgiveness of our sin through Jesus Christ. It's a moment that marks our acceptance of God's grace 
and it marks the new life Christ offered us. Therefore, you hear terms like regeneration, justification, being born again, or second life. All of these things are ways that we explain what is happening and what baptism signifies. Those things can happen in a different ways, myriad of different ways throughout our lives, that regeneration, second birth, conversion, whatever you want to talk about. But baptism, whether it happens in that moment or it happens some other moment, baptism is the symbol of that moment in our lives. I was baptized as a child, and we can talk in great length about that, but I was baptized as a child. My conversion happened much later, but my baptism as a child was my looking forward to that day, the day that I would accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So as baptized Christians, we have a place in God's kingdom, access to new life, eternal life in Christ Jesus today, and always in the promise of the resurrection in the final days. A lot of theology there too. And finally, baptism is not just a a moment. It's not the end. Some of our uh, fellow Catholic friends uh, uh, believe that, you know, once you're baptized, that's it, right? You know, get baptized and woohoo, you're done. No, baptism is a beginning. It is a moment that starts your journey. It is the beginning of the journey. We've all been called by God's prevenient grace to repent, to turn around, to come home, to be a child, to be a son or daughter of God. And when we do, and when we are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit, God's justifying grace and new life in Jesus Christ. That pivotal moment for any Christian is just the beginning of their journey because we are called to perfection, to to be truly one with God. We are called to love God and neighbor perfectly with our whole heart, our whole mind, and all of our strength. And so we know that that is a lifelong process and we will fail a lot. And we will take steps back before we take steps forward. And that one day we will experience that, whether it's here on earth or afterwards. But we're called to this life of growth or or what we term sanctification. We are called to grow closer to Christ and closer to all people on earth every single day. Not giving up until we no longer have life in our bodies. And then I think probably have some new experiences waiting for us. So our baptism is just the beginning. And so was Jesus' baptism the beginning of his public ministry. So I want to take you to these places. Starting with... Uh, I'm just going to show you a map if you're familiar with um, Israel. Uh, We're in Israel, modern-day Israel, right? Uh, This is um, where Jesus was, uh, the Jordan River. You see the river right there. Um, So Jesus travels from uh, Galilee up to here, and here's going to be some video of the Jordan, I think. (laughs) That should be the next one. Uh, Yeah, here's a video of the actual Jordan River. This would be... Uh, the place where we believe Jesus was most likely baptized. Uh, for many years, there was a place north on the river, uh, but there is a place more, more uh, southern between Palestine and Israel. Uh, it's recently been opened up to be uh, a place where you can go and be baptized uh, or you can go and, and experience baptism. Um, you know, uh, on one side of the river, there's going to be 
Palestinian soldiers, and on one side of the river there's going to be Israeli soldiers. Um, so that's one of the reasons that it was closed, because for many years, this place where we believe Jesus was baptized by John, uh, there were landmines all over, so you didn't go there. Uh, but that's been cleared up, and uh, things are not great, but things are, are okay. You can go there. Um, so then Jesus, let's go uh, from the Jordan River. Jesus goes several miles into the Judean wilderness. And we have a little clip of the map here to see kind of where Jesus goes. Or, no, well, this is, this is the Mount of Temptations. Um, well, I'll get to that here in a second. This is the mountain where they believe Jesus went, and the cave, that church is built on the cave, where Jesus... Uh, they believe, slept during this 40 days. Maybe not the entire time, uh, but some of it. Uh, so, so this is the Mount of Temptation in the Judean wilderness. Uh, this is one of the paths. Um, I think the next one after this will be the map and then another look at kind of what the wilderness looks like. It is not a forest, right? Uh, Jesus lived in the desert, and so the wilderness is the desert. So I think the next one here is, yeah, here's the map. So from the Jordan River to the mountain of temptation a little north of jericho it's where the walls were south of samaria there you go you can see jerusalem there uh and then the next clip here is just what the wilderness looks like if you've never seen it uh a little bit different than some of our deserts but if you think kind of like arizona deserts you know there's some life but not a lot you know not like the sahara desert but um rocky you know beautiful in, in its own way um and so jesus spent 40 days there uh sleeping in the cave maybe moving around from place to place uh living uh, among the wild animals uh living among anybody else who was out there uh and that's where he experienced his temptation so i just wanted to show you a few uh clips of that so get your mind in the set of what that would have looked like so after his baptism jesus was led into the wilderness by the holy spirit he stayed there and fasted for 40 days. 40 days is significant. What are some other things that lasted 40 days? Any guesses? The flood, 40 days and 40 nights. The rains poured down. Hopefully our um, forthcoming snow will not last 40 days or 40 nights, or even one. That would be great if it just lasts a few hours. So yes, Noah... Uh, and his family were on the ark. 40 days and 40 nights is the actual days of the rain, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and then there was a little bit longer time after that. Moses, 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai as he received the law. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai as he was receiving the law, right? The big stone tablets and then everything else. 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, the prophet, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before he heard that small, still voice. 40 days and 40 nights. Israel, the entire nation of Israel, after they crossed the river, the, the Red Sea, excuse me, left Egypt, went into the land that they were promised, and they almost got there. They were going to cross the Jordan River, but they didn't want to because they thought there were giants on the other side. And they got scared. They were going to go. You saw Jericho. So they were in Egypt, and then they were going to cross the Jordan River, and then they were going to go to Jericho, and then they got scared. And so they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. That wilderness, 40 years. 
40 is pretty important. So at 40 days and nights, fasting in the desert wasn't bad enough. Jesus was tempted during that time. Tempted. These temptations, who knows how many there were, three of them are recorded in detail, served as a great test, a test preparing Jesus for his many temptations in ministry over the next three years. Now, you can take this story literally that the personified evil, the the personification of evil, Satan, was actually there and actually tempting Jesus. You can believe that. I don't have any problem with that. Or you can believe, since Satan means adversary, it's a word that means adversary, you can believe that Jesus was tempted much like we are tempted by this voice calling us to do things we know we shouldn't do, but we do anyway. Either way, I believe in the devil, I believe in Satan, but I know that my greatest Satan, my greatest adversary, is myself. I don't need a guy in, you know, pointy horns and a pitchfork to get me to do bad things. I'm really good at doing it myself. Most of us are. So let's take a moment, look at these three temptations, probably recounted by Jesus to his disciples, because nobody else was there, right? So Jesus probably told this to his disciples to encourage them in their temptation. And let's see. So the first temptation, I'm not going to read them, but you can read them in um, Matthew and Luke. Both record them. Um, So you can look in the early parts of Matthew and Luke and find um, the temptations in in length. The first one is food-related. Luke says Jesus ate nothing and was starving, just in case you didn't think after 40 days he might the guy might be hungry it really cues you in oh he was starving by the way and then he gets this temptation he's uh he 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 uh, you know satan appears to him and says turn those stones into loaves of bread he could do that we've seen him do food stuff right looking back now food temptation is not a new thing we may think it is but it's a pretty old thing. Remember, back in the Garden of Eden, there was a food temptation. And that's the first temptation that screwed everything up. Food temptations are not new. Esau, you remember Esau? Esau and Isaac, right? Esau sold his birthright for some porridge. Probably was good, but he sold his birthright for soup. My favorite food temptation. The children of Israel wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. At one point, they say to Moses, let's go back to Egypt and be slaves. Because there we at least had some nice fruit. And out here in the wilderness, all we have is manna, which God has been providing us every single day. But we're tired of that stuff. We want to have some, you know, stuff from Egypt. You know, they have nice spicy food. They almost went back to slavery for food. Food temptations are very, very real. Food temptations are something most of us in America struggle with. We struggle with eating with an abundance of food in our world. We struggle with eating too much. We struggle with eating garbage because it tastes so good right we eat terrible things 
And we've created cultures that continue to produce terrible things for us. And we eat stuff that's not good for us, but it's fast and convenient. So we struggle with that. We don't struggle enough with the reality that we produce enough food here in the United States to feed the world, yet millions of people die of starvation every year. That should enrage us. should set us off. That should be a table-flipping moment like Jesus in the temple. That's exceptionally frustrating. And it's very complicated. Don't let me, don't, don't say that it's not, it's very complicated. Because we try to send food to people and despots taken and all that kind of stuff. It's very complicated. But it's frustrating. It's injustice. And so we don't, we don't struggle with that temptation. So Jesus knew what it was 40 days without food. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to want to eat something so bad, but committed himself not to. And he turns to his adversary and he says, one does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That true life is not about what we eat or what we wear or what we're doing. Jesus would say that to his disciples later in his ministry. Don't worry about what food you're going to eat. Don't worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Don't worry about the food, the clothing on your backs. God loves you more than flowers, and they're beautiful. God loves you more than sparrows, and they never go hungry. Jesus knew what it was to be tempted, but he knew life was a lot more than what we eat. Now, Jesus' second temptation is a little more odd. He is brought to the pinnacle of the temple. Remember the temple on uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem? Big, huge, massive structure. It's destroyed now, but, um, you know, huge, massive structure on, you know, pretty high in, in terms of Jerusalem. And so he's brought to the highest point of the temple and, and basically told, jump. God will save you. That's the temptation. So I, I think there's a couple ways to look at this. The first is this kind of, uh, this daredevil, not the superhero, but, you know, the, the kind of wanting to do stupid, crazy things, right? Because when you do crazy things, sometimes other people are like, you know, good job. You just jumped off, uh, you know, this or that. Evil can evil, right? Did all kinds of crazy things. Well, pretty much see every reality TV show and every internet video that's been created in the last ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much, you know, there's all kinds of people who are willing to do a whole bunch of stupid things for their 15 minutes of fame. So maybe this was that moment. You know, I'm going to jump off the temple and all these angels are going to catch me. And it's going to be awesome. And Jesus is going to have his 15 minutes of fame. But Jesus wouldn't win converts, friends, or influence others by ridiculous stunts or even by miracles. Hear that. Jesus did all kinds of miracles. But he would win victory over sin and death by suffering, dying, and rising again. So what if, this might make you uncomfortable. I'm going to do it in. Have you ever stood like in a tall building? At the ledge? Or like on a, like a canyon? And kind of had that morbid sense. What if? You know, what if, you know, I did that and I could live or, or, or that kind of thing. So what if Jesus had this kind of morbid temptation? You know, would God save me? 
Does God care enough about me? Does God, is God invested in me enough so that if I jump, God will save me? Or did Jesus stand at the ledge of the temple knowing full well that his destination three years from now was the cross and did just for a split second his adversary say to him, It'd be a lot easier to end it now. I'm guessing that just made some of you really uncomfortable. You don't like to think Jesus in that kind of, that, that idea of Jesus thinking about taking his own life. But how comforting for someone who's stood on that ledge, metaphorically, or really, who's considered taking their own lives to know that Jesus has had that moment and overcome it. I think that's worth maybe us being a little uncomfortable for other people to find encouragement. Final temptation. I know this is the big one. Power, glory. Jesus is taken to a high place, maybe the Mount of Temptations itself. From the top of the Mount of Temptations, you can see quite a bit of Israel. It wasn't called the Mount of Temptations 2,000 years ago, by the way. We've named it that since because that's where Jesus was. It's like, oh, that's convenient. He went to get tempted at the Mount of Temptations. No, that's not how it happened. <laughs> not at all. Uh, just I want to make sure you weren't thinking that. It was okay if you were. And he, he, he's brought to the top of the mountain, and he's offered everything, all of the kingdoms of earth, all the power, all the wealth, all the glory, the biggest lotto payout ever. Everything. Everything. All he has to do is bow. Bow to the devil, bow to his own will, however you want to interpret it. Now this temptation has unfortunately gripped pretty much all of our world forever. And not only has it, not only is it a temptation, but people actually strive for it. People strive for power. They strive for wealth. They strive for influence. Pretty much this has caused all of the greatest atrocities in our world. People want more money, more possessions, more status, more power, more wealth, more influence, more praise, more whatever. I read a story this week, last week, I don't know about a young boy who <coughs> graduated high school, got a whole bunch of credit cards out in his parents' name, went overseas and, and spent thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know how much money, spent a lot of money living a lifestyle above his means by taking out credit cards in his parents' name, chasing this temptation, not only being tempted, but chasing this temptation. When his parents found out and confronted him, he murdered them. He's now in jail, just so you know. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you give in to these temptations, when you chase them. It corrupts you. It turns you into something that you aren't, that you're not supposed to be, that you're not meant to be. So Jesus, standing, looking over all of the kingdoms of earth, all of the monetary wealth all of the power all of the influence all of the prestige all of the praise 
turns to his adversary and says, Worship the Lord God and serve only him. If everybody in our world did the same thing, it would be a better place. So Jesus wasn't a sinner, but he was baptized. Jesus was God, but he faced temptation anyway. Now, we don't worship a God who's distant from us, who, who's far away, who's in some other plane of existence, who, who just created things and then stepped away. We worship a God who is invested in our lives. We worship a God who has walked in our shoes, knows our struggle, knows our suffering, knows our temptations. So as we begin our Lenten journey, to walk with Jesus throughout his ministry, I think we've come to the realization that Jesus has walked with us in our journey. And Jesus continues to walk with us, alive in us, as we journey together today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Amen. I think that's good news. Let us transition now over this Lenten season and pray in response to that good news, the prayer that Jesus Christ taught us and taught his disciples, the Lord's Prayer. We'll be on the screen. We'll use the traditional language. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the glory forever. Amen. Let's move now to our prayers. Uh, going out to those who are not here, uh, those in our lives who are not uh, represented who are on our hearts as we pray for others i will um say a short statement and uh just reflect um privately on any people of that group who uh, you would like to lift to god and then i will say lord in your mercy you will say sounds good let us pray and i'll have a time at the end where we can lift up names to our body here. Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity to be here. We thank you in the midst of suffering and injustice, in the midst of temptations every day that we struggle with. We know you have been there. You've walked with us. You have conquered those temptations, and ultimately you have conquered evil. You have conquered all adversaries. You have conquered the devil you have conquered sin you have conquered death and although we struggle we know you are victorious and we can be victorious through you live in us lord we just lift up those who can't be here today and among them we include those who are closest to us lord in your mercy lord we pray for those who point us to you your son jesus christ lord in your mercy 
Lord, we pray for all of those who lead us, leaders of our world, the leaders of this nation, especially the leaders of our state. We pray that words may come upon them, that they will end stalemates and the suffering that it is causing. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for those who are weak, those who are suffering, those who are sick, those who are desperately in need, those who we have been able to help this week through our ministry, through our paper angel closet, but so many who we have not been in contact with who we are still working to reach. We pray for all those in need. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for ourselves, each of us individually. We pray for our church, New Life. We pray for our sisters, church, Sherlin. We pray for all of those who come into this building, all of those our ministry effects. And we lift up any names now to your care and grace. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we lift up these in all names to your care, those names we've spoken and those on our hearts. We just ask that you truly shed your grace upon all those we've thought of and those who we haven't. And help us be your hands and feet. Help us be your comfort. Help us be encouragement. Help us be a unifying voice, not a voice of dissent. Every day, help us show your love. Help us be your children. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Uh, we'll uh, collect our tithes and offerings for the work of our church at this time. And uh, I'll share some things going on. Uh, tonight is Taste of New Life. So stay and eat. Uh, I know, yeah, we had it last week, but we're having it this week again. So um, hopefully you brought food. If you didn't stay anyway, I'm sure we'll, you, you know, we'll eat less. Uh, or we'll have a miracle of bread and fishes, and uh, that tends to happen. Uh, so we uh, encourage you to do that. Uh, Tuesday mornings at Sherland, down the road, we're going to be doing Rick Warren's, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, uh, Saddleback Church, uh, good guy. Uh, his Daniel plan, all talking about kind of healthy living, you know, as I talked about kind of forming healthy habits, um, he talks about faith, food, fitness, focus, friends, uh, and th those are kind of his F words. Um, we got our own here too. Um, but uh, th those are his plans. It's, it's interesting, and I uh, encourage you if you want to be part of that. Um, or if you just like a book, we have some extra books, I think, after Tuesday. I'll, I'll know for sure. Um, but you could certainly just uh, grab a book and look at it for yourself. Uh, that will be Tuesday mornings for the next six weeks at 9.30 at the Sherland Church. Then Wednesday night at 6 p.m., uh, we will be going into more detail about our sermon series, The Way, based on Adam Hamilton's book, The Way. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, share uh, more in length uh, the videos um, that take you to the Holy Land, that take you to the places where Jesus has walked, where Jesus has been, where Jesus' ministry took place. Uh, some really good videos um, by Adam Hamilton this time. Uh, he's kind of gotten the ins and outs of the Holy Land down uh, this being his third series kind of like this. So I uh, encourage you to come be part of that. 
Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Um, there can be child care there available, um, not for Tuesday, um, although sometimes we just bring the kids anyway. Uh, but, uh, uh, but for Wednesday night, um, we can certainly arrange that. Um, so just let us know. Uh, and usually uh, Ryan's there for the first couple weeks if you're interested in that.